Yo, we're getting really spicy now. <laughs> I know. We're getting so <laughs> spicy. This is when we're gonna start getting hate mail. I know, like, I want hate yeah. Everybody. Hey, Chris. Hello. Welcome. <laughs> Welcome to the Recalled Show. Um, so we are recording on Monday, April third, and today I'm off this week, so I don't know what day it is. <laughs> April third. Okay. Yes, Monday, April third. And why that is important is because we are in the midst of Holy Week. Um, I grew up in a mainline church, so I know what. Holy Week is all about. I even know most of the optional days of Holy Week because I had to conduct services every day for Holy Week. It was like my New York Fashion Week. You look forward to it and you plan for it, but no one likes being there. Um, and you grew up in an evangelical sort of, well, you, you, you kind of have an evangelical context. And in that context, as some you know evangelical non-denominational folks might know, it's not as liturgical, so you don't really follow those days, right? Right. So, um, obviously, you know, this is, you know, outside of the, outside of whether you celebrate Holy Week or not, you certainly do celebrate the big ones, right? Good Friday, Easter, those two days mark perhaps the two most momentous occasions in Christianity and are ultimately our faith's linchpin, which is that Jesus died on a cross and he was, res he resurrected, you know, and, um, and that is why we believe the things we do. And that is why these things are important as people who are reconstructing our faith and re renegotiating our faith. Yes, we're celebrating, but it's also has our celebration has an asterisk and we're a little, you know, we want to kind of dive in and explore and um, figure out what we're exactly celebrating and um, what that looks like today. So one of the things that we were talking about as we were broaching this topic was the idea of Good Friday versus um, Easter Sunday uh, and what those days mark. So in my life, growing up in a, uh, you know, an immigrant Asian church, um, I told people before this that I grew up in a Good Friday church um, because it's like Jesus never woke up, you know, <laughs> you know, like everything dies, right? You die unto your sin. You sacrifice your life. You sacrifice your youth. Um, you are, you know, you're dead in sin. You're dead. The word dead was used a lot, which is why I call that church a good Friday church. Um, but obviously, you know, there's focus, there's some churches that focus on the flip side too, right? The, the resurrecting part. And, you know, they apply that theme to a lot of people. Lives. So, um, I don't know, Chris, do you, I know that you don't have the same experience here, but, um, what, what are the thoughts that you're coming? So good Friday. So it's really interesting. Cause I grew up when I was young in the Catholic church and then my dad being a Jesuit and then ended up in somewhere in middle school going to Christian missionary Alliance, um, which the church I was going to was actually a good church. Um, so I don't really have anything crazy to say or exciting hey, um, about that. That's kind of good. Love good churches. Yeah. yeah. Um, but in general, as I started like going into the non-denominational realm of things, um, the Good Friday 
And all of the calendar year was about Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. And in order to be saved, you had to accept Christ into your heart. You needed to know the date and the time or else you weren't really saved. And if you, and this is where it gets a little crazy. So there were people who would say, you never lose your salvation. Once you accept Christ into your heart and you accept him as your savior and accept his death on the cross as the sacrifice for your sin, you never lose your salvation. But if you start straying away, well, then maybe you never really were saved or maybe you never really had a life changing experience if you're straying away from the message that we taught in this church, because our church knows everything. Um, so I do, just like you say, you went to a Good Friday church. I would argue that most evangelical churches are a Good Friday church. Yeah, no, I, I noticed that too, that most evangelical churches are these churches that highlight death, right? Like so much to the point where it's almost like the resurrection was for Jesus and it's for some people, but it's not for us, right? We need to earn our resurrection. That's kind of the sense that I get sometimes. And to your point, you know, a lot of this is pervasive in a lot of ancient theologies too, where it's so tied up in um, achieving salvation and maintaining our sanctification so that we don't lose like, you know, out on the promise or, you know, on the kingdom of heaven or whatever you believe. Um, It's so twisted up in that there, that, there is no room for resurrection. There's no room for restoration. There's no room for, you know, a Christian life that can be lived in full because you're just so busy dying all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and the resur- uh, the uh, crucifixion is an important um, event in Christ's life that we should pay attention to, but I think the resurrection is more important. And the thing that's really interesting is that ancient Christians, if we call them ancient, but before like fundamentalism, Good Friday and the crucifixion were not main components of Christianity. When you talked about like Holy week, it was the resurrection and the cross as a symbol for Christianity is a fairly new concept. And so it's fascinating to me that the emphasis has, we, we talk about how like fundamentalism that we know today, particularly with like your big tent revivals, um, And Billy Graham being one of those leaders, obviously, um, fundamentalism had such an emphasis on Christ's death being the way to heaven. Prior to that, there was such an emphasis on the resurrection and, and Jesus's bodily resurrection, allowing us to live a meaningful life and also giving us eternal life. But eternal life was defined as right now. Like starting right now, not when you die, but living an internal, eternal life, a life that's been changed, that's brighter, um, that has meaning and purpose. Um, not saying it's an easy life, um, but I, there's been so much twisting of that. And I also feel like there's been such an emphasis on the death of Jesus that it also has led to this place of, well, you never repented or you are not really saved. You're not really saved because you don't speak in tongues. You're not really saved because you don't know every scripture in the Bible. You're not really saved because you're gay. You're not really saved because you're a woman in leadership. And it's, I almost feel like the emphasis on Jesus's death has led to a place of judgment because in essence, Jesus dying on the cross was God's judgment onto him. So 
I don't know. Maybe I'm like pulling at straws here, but I'm just trying to think how we've gotten so judgmental. Well, I think, yeah, no, I don't think you're pulling at straws at all. So something, you know, a word that comes up in my mind a lot when I think about where we are today in terms of like systematic theology, right? So when I say that it's just fancy pants seminary speak for a, a structured way to understand and live out faith, right? So if you are in a Presbyterian church, Presbyterianism is, you know, one of those philosophies, right? A way to digest and um, live out your faith. What I think is happening with evangelical churches and hyper-Calvinism and all these things is we are over-engineering the faith to the point where it loses all meaning. Um, this happens a lot in, in tech companies. So I work for a tech company. I don't think it ever happens at mine because mine's the best because I work there. But uh, <laughs> in other tech companies, um, there is a tendency for things to become over-engineered. Right. So you have a great product. It's simple. And you add some bells and whistles. You know, there's this great episode of 30 Rock that um, where um, and 30 Rock is a show about, you know, TV TV executives. And they're trying to um, build a new microwave for General Electric. And they're at this table. They're they're at the 11th hour. And, um, you know, uh, Alec Baldwin comes out and he's like, you know what this microwave needs? It needs more doors, four doors, you know, and then like someone else says, you know, what if it was portable? It needs wheels. And then at the end of it, they're like, oh my God, we've recreated the Pontiac Aztec, you know? <laughs> and it's just not an, it's not a microwave anymore. What I think is happening with these Good Friday churches and this emphasis on death and dying to ourselves and sin is death is that we've over-engineered that theology of being dead to sin so much that it's just become all that. Our faith has become a Pontiac Aztec. And I think that that's just an, uh, such an unhealthy place because that's our witness to the world. And you see that through these, you know, fringe movements like the Westboro Baptist Church holding up signs that say God hates, you know, like gay people and all that stuff. I mean, and not in those terms, you know, but um, stuff like that. That is kind of the, the child and witness of these ideas and this, this emphasis on death. Because as long as you think about how crappy things are, you don't give people the room to be restored. And I think that that's what was happening in a lot of churches is that um, people are scrutinizing people who are different of different races and backgrounds. Um, they are less gracious to them because they're so fearful of death and they can only see this person for what they are not. Um, and they never think about, they never think, look at someone and feel hope for the future because that's not what, where their focus lies. Yeah. So I, I find that very challenging. I think that I wonder how to get out of that thinking. I, I don't know. I, I was just thinking about like how, as you're speaking and how there was like this, I remember I would ask Christ into my heart every week on Sunday because I felt like I didn't do it right. Hmm. Um, oh man. And then I think about when Jesus rose from the dead, first of all, he didn't go to the temple to profess his, his risenness. He went to a woman and told a woman to preach his resurrection. Interesting. Second thing is he went to the beach 
that's the Jesus I follow is the Jesus who goes to the beach and makes breakfast for his friends. I love that. And (laughs) and what's even more miraculous for me is, and I think about just me like being like, Jesus come into my heart as my Lord and savior. Please forgive me for my sins. Every Sunday is Jesus's emphasis when he rose from the dead with Peter was not you betrayed me. It was, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And that's more powerful to me. So the resurrection for me is a much more powerful story than the death because it allows us to see that Jesus wants us to have a enriched, loving relationship with him as opposed to this focus on self-hatred, self-loathing, death becomes us, let's wear all black. And I do feel that there's a lot of churches out there, even in New Jersey, where we are, that focus on this death of Jesus mentality. Jesus is the reason that um, Jesus's death is because of you. And yes, did Jesus die for us? Of course, he died for everybody. But um, there's just such an emphasis on that, that all that like excitement and light and joy that Jesus brings on resurrection Sunday just kind of gets like lost. And I think a lot of it has to do with, because one, perhaps it's because he allowed a woman to preach. I don't know. Or to, to <laughs> men. And two, maybe it's because the emphasis was on someone who betrayed Jesus three times. And Jesus said, do you love me three times? And in, in our current society, when someone betrays the church three times, they don't get asked that question. I think about like how it affects this idea, this lack of understanding of like resurrection or like maybe the unsexiness of resurrection, right? Because I feel like, I think that's how it registers to me. Death and negativity is much sexier than resurrection. And right now, I mean, Lord knows, church has got to sell and sex, you know, like that sexiness sells, you know? And um, I think that it colors a lot of things. Like, for example, like deconstructing faith, right? Like this notion, the, the, the reaction of the church around deconstructing faith, like when I, not as a monolith even, but even towards me when I said, you know, like, I'm not going to go to church anymore. I need to figure this stuff out. The reaction is, oh, so your sin is, your, your faith is dead. You know, (laughs) you're, you're dead, you know, like, um, but why do we need to think of it like that? You know, like why, why, and I think that's why we frame it as reconstruction or um, renegotiation because it is the birth of something new. It is the birth of something that looks like something else, but it's entirely different. Um, so I, I wonder if what would happen if churches that are of influence in the public discourse, churches that are in our neighborhoods, stopped putting so much emphasis on death, stopped putting so much emphasis on like, you got to do this to get this. And thought about the resurrection, right? Like what happened when Christ died? You know, the, the, uh, you said, yeah, Christ didn't go to the temple or, or anything. Yeah. Because the, the, the curtain in the temple was, you know, torn in two, right? That's what the scripture says. The value of the temple became null. Right. But that doesn't mean that the temple is forever. You know, the value of the temple is forever. null. they needed to, change right and adapt to that new 
the, the new reality that there is no disconnect between God and his people, right? That there is this intermediary that is perpetually going to supply us with that bridge with the deity. So the, 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 the temple had to understand that and then change. And that's how Christianity came to be because the, the people, you know, who were Christ followers in that setting, they said, this temple model doesn't work under, under our new reality. So what do we do next? Um, there are not enough churches that are asking, what are we going to do next? They're always sitting on, we're dying, the world is dying, deconstructionists are dying, everything is dying. And so I don't know, how, how do we get, how do we get to that place? You know, like, um, so I wonder, I don't know, like, do you, do you, can you think of any churches or any examples or stories where you saw a, a church that is healthy in this aspect, that is kind of like a, more of an Easter church? Yeah. So I do want to say, like, as you're talking, like your question about, um, like death and, and, and stuff, I think about like the left behind series. Oh man. <laughs> yes. I think about the, the huge push towards, um, gay conversion therapy. Mm. Um, all of these things are associated with death yes. and destruction and darkness. And now we're seeing a movement outside of the church for the most part, that's focused on love, compassion, empathy. And that's outside of the church because the church was so focused on death. Yep. And so now what we're seeing is people feel, Hey, you know what? I get more love, empathy, and compassion from more of my like worldly things than church. So sign me up for that. Cause I'm not going to church there. There's um, a pastor I know who did something called whiskey worship. Mm, oh yeah, and you're met, telling me about this. And anyone could come. And it was based off this idea of Martin Luther who would drink with his buddies once a week and they would talk about theology. Now, the purpose of this group was not to get wasted, but it was a very relaxed environment to kind of talk about really big ideas and how God's, um, maybe God's view of those ideas or how God plays into like a modern world and stuff. The church I've been going to um, ripped out several pews and the pastor was like, um, we're going to do it because no one's sitting in them anyway. And you would think there'd be, so we, I remember us talking like a couple of us that go to this church and like, it was like, Oh my gosh, they're going to rip out pews. Like, no church rips out pews. Yeah. Like what? You're going to rip out pews. And it was like the best idea ever. And his idea, and I could have him speak to it in the future, but was during communion was to go back. Cause they put, they took the pews. This is actually really cool. They took the pews and refurbished them and made tables out of them. And I love that. Yeah. And so now these beautiful tables, cause these pews are from like the sixties, these beautiful tables are there. And the idea is at the end of this liturgical style of service, um, you go back for communion, they get huge loaves of bread and you rip it and pass it along. And then you do communion at the tables. And then after that, you stay there for fellowship where they have food and they actually got all these like trays, like, um, what do you call it? Like serving trays. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, and you don't have to pay for it. Like I went to one church where you had to pay for the food. It's not going to be the case. It's literally just like extension of communion. Cause essentially when Jesus at Passover, it was dinner. Right. Yeah. So that's what he wants to replicate. And then there's been talks about also having like a Friday night, um, dinner church type thing. Um, that 
doesn't really have a set agenda, but it's more about conversation and dialogue about certain topics of scripture. So that's kind of cool. Um, and that really to me is like more focused on life than death because it's talking about conversation and dialogue and expanding ideas and not shrinking ideas. Um, I want to tackle something that we're going to get hate mail for. Oh, I'm so excited. I love hate mail. If you have, if you have hate, our email is recalled show at gmail.com. <laughs> Are we going to become that show that like shows the emails and blurs out their name and then, like what they're saying about us? Oh man, I would love that. When we talk about like Good Friday and being saved, I think about Calvinism. Mm-hmm. versus like a Wesleyan thought versus a like Lutheran thought. So Calvinism obviously state to me why Calvinism doesn't make sense to me. And almost to me is like kind of inherently evil. And a lot of non-denominational evangelical churches believe in Calvinism. So I'm kind of throwing them all under the bus here <laughs> is because the death and resurrection wouldn't mean anything if we were all chosen and predestined to heaven. So Calvinism believes that people out of all of the, the world, there are people who are just like, kind of like Jehovah's witness. It's, just, it's exactly what a Jehovah's witness believes, but just, you don't have to do anything because you're called to salvation. And if no one, the people who aren't saved is because God didn't call them to salvation mm-hmm. essentially. Um, and that is like, I'm just going to say it's very evil to me. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think that's, it's, you, you touch upon a topic that's really, in, you know, that's This is where the near. hate mail comes in. This is where the hate mail comes in. So <laughs> one of the things that, so, you know, just as a background, so um, my, my, my faith, I attribute my faith um, formation to a hyper-Calvinist church that I attended for most of my adult life when I was in college. So this idea is like really familiar to me and I've had a lot of time to think about it. One of the things that I think um, about the general idea of the elect, the frozen chosen for the cynical. Um, frozen <laughs> chosen? I've never heard that. That's amazing. Yes. Okay. Yes. If you're bitter for long enough, then you learn these <laughs> phrases. So frozen chosen, right? This concept um, of Calvinism. I think of it a lot like socialism, right? Socialism, outside of the context of everything, is a wonderful idea, Right society helps the individual and brings equity to everybody. It's a wonderful, beautiful idea, but it's just such a good idea that people can never deploy it in the right way. Mm -hmm. Right. I think about the elect as the exact same thing. It is in concept. And I understand that maybe like in concept, it feels like evil to a lot of people, but like if you dive into some of the, some of like, you know, the ideas of like, um, you know, John Calvin, like eventually you find you run into some beauty around this idea of the elect, but it's just not something that we're good at deploying because it's always going to become 
like communism or like, you know, something real crappy, right? Like, like this idea of the elect goes up to the pulpit or, or like goes into, you know, bleeds into your idea of your own salvation. And all of a sudden it's like, well then, then maybe you were never chosen all along, you know, like, or maybe, maybe that's why, you know, like uh, I know that that's wielded a lot f- during conversion therapy or for like homosexual people, right? Like they're like, no, I am saved. It's like, well, you just came out. So maybe you were never, you know, elected in the first place. That's when it becomes a really dirty and ugly thing. So, but yeah, I, I think it's really foundational though, to what we're talking about, which is this, uh, you know, difference between death and resurrection, because there is a highlight on death. Um, you know, when I was in this ultra Calvinistic, hyper Calvinistic church, um, one of the, one of the biggest tenants was you're a worm, you know, um, the first tea and tulip total depravity, right? You are totally depraved. You are the worm of the earth. Um, I think I shared this example with you when I think about Wesleyanism versus Calvinism in the broad strokes, I think about the illustration of someone drowning in an ocean. Um, and Wes- Wesleyan theology is essentially the Methodist church. Um, yeah, Methodist, um, and there, th- there's breakdowns of that. Yeah. A lot of but just so flavors. for people who don't, know about theologians cause they're not nerdy certainly on yes. theology, but so just real quick. So John Calvin, what churches would you say are, are tend to be on a Calvin scale? So Calvinism is more colloquially sort of like aligned with what we know as reformed theology. So, um, reformed churches, uh, Presbyterian churches are grounded in reformed theology and Calvinism. So yeah, those are generally, and then your Wesleyan churches are kind of like your, different types of Methodist churches, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Catholics and Greek Orthodox are kind of in their own category with this. So I'm sorry, I just wanted to kind of sure. break that down, but what's, what's the view of, um, swimming? Let's talk about swimming. So, so, um, the two, so yeah, like Wesleyanism versus Calvinism broadly cut up. Let's imagine that you're drowning in the ocean in the middle of the ocean. Um, this is where, so in the Calvinist point of view, you're drowning in the ocean and you die. You're dead. You're bad at swimming. You're Good dead. Good Friday. Good Friday. You're at the bottom of the ocean and you're just, you're, you're blue. God descends from heaven. Well, God's hand, I guess, descends from heaven, picks up your dead body and brings you back to life. That is salvation in the context of Calvin. In the context of Wesley, you're drowning in the ocean and you cry out to God. And just before your hand slips into the water, God's hand reaches down and grabs your hand and saves you. You're not dead. You're almost dead. Right. Or you're, you're, I guess like, you know, um, if we cancel out the metaphor, it's like your faith has brought you to a place of such pain and, and despair. So those are the two differences. And I think that what's, what's, what's happened is that, because we're so busy distinguishing these theologies and figuring out who's right and who's wrong, because a lot of times that's what it becomes on the pulpit, right? My idea is right. All the other churches are wrong. Come to my church and put money in my plate. It's become the difference between the difference between the nature of the drowning. Whereas we should be focusing on the commonality of how the story ends, which is the body is picked up by God's hand. Right? So I think that, 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 feeds a lot of division in the church, confusion, and also a lot of wrong teachings as well, right? Because underneath this teaching is this idea of self-preservation for the institution and the preacher. But whereas I understand the importance of the difference, I think it's about time that we focus on the commonality, which is that whether you're dead or almost dead, 
who gives a shit? God's saving you anyway. (laughs) So I think if we can all kind of get to this place of understanding that faith is focused on life and living and what your life looks like, maybe, you know, we're, when we talk about um, religious trauma and all the evil that's done by pastors, not all pastors, but some pastors um, and the abuses they commit, it's because they're focused on the death and judgment, Mm -hmm. not on life. And I think again, in the example of Jesus asking Peter, how do you love me three times in the same way when we focus on such a optimistic thing, I'm sure Jesus was definitely hurt by being, um, uh, denied by Peter saying, I don't know that man. I mean, he was mad enough to with, withhold brunch from him. So that, <laughs> because he had to say it a couple of times before he gave him brunch. So right, right, right. <laughs> I think about just like how beautiful that interaction is. And I wonder like for, um, can we ask other people, do you love Jesus? Hmm. Do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Okay. We all have the same love for Jesus. Um, and I think ultimately Jesus does not, does not say you need to belong to a specific denomination. And Jesus does not say that one specific denomination has all the answers. And Jesus does not say anywhere in scripture that if you speak in tongues that you, or if you don't speak in tongues, you're not saved. If you're a woman in leadership, you're not saved. If you're, um, gay and you are with another man that you're not saved, the, the, what Jesus lays out is very specific and it's very simple that he is the way, the truth and the light, Mm -hmm. whoever follows him. Why am I blanking on the verse? Whoever follows him. It's probably because you're not Christian. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's great. I know, right? No. So the, the, well, they'll, they'll have eternal life. life. I am the way, the truth and the life. Yes. And I think that's, that's exactly where, where, where I think like the over engineering thing comes in because we've taken something so simple. Right. And then yes, the Bible does not stop there. Right. Like, you know, Jesus's ascension happens and then stuff goes crazy. But that's the point. Like when I read the the New Testament, you know, people sometimes like are like, oh, there's so many, you know, like, you know, um, it says this in one place and it says the, the opposite in another place. I, some These days I respond like, yeah, of course, because these guys were figuring it out, you know, like. Their their guy, the guy who w- taught them everything, he just like just went up to heaven. So you know they were just trying stuff out and seeing if it works. And and you know like especially in, in the context of Paul's uh, the Pauline epistles, I know that a lot of people have a lot of hate for the Pauline epistles. I think it's because it's been communicated as like true down to every period. But what's really happening is that these letters are for very specific churches that were trying some different things that weren't right according to Paul. So he wanted to write them angry letters and put them on blast and tell them how to actually live. So, you know, there's always this struggle and there was always this difference in belief, even in the scripture. But back then, I think the difference is that they weren't, they didn't have their salvation taken away from them. There wasn't such an emphasis on how different they are. Rather, it was a conversation, you know? Um, I think about, sometimes I like to, 
daydream because I'm like such a Bible geek. I, I like to daydream about the conversations that Paul might have had with James when he returned to Jerusalem, you know, and how much they would have screamed and shouted at each other because they were so fundamentally different. I mean, like literally James didn't believe that the people, the primary people group that Paul was ministering to deserved to be part of Christ's church. It's like a Calvinist. It's like a Calvinist, right? The frozen chosen baby, you know, like, but, but that's exactly right. So all this stuff was happening, you know, in the text, that, in the context of the text that we're reading. And that makes me feel really good. And my grandparents like you were, 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 were Catholic, you know, and I like to believe that they're, they're waiting for me, you know, and um, that is what spurs me on as well. But I don't know why we have to go there and say that you're going to die. Well, I think about Catholicism too, like growing up when you received the sacrament of the Eucharist, you were then taught as you're going through your sacraments was you receive the sacrament of Jesus's body and blood. And then you go back to your seat and you ask for forgiveness for your sins Mm -hmm. through Jesus's action of dying on the cross and then rising for you. Isn't that what the Protestant church is teaching except they're not using the language of come into my heart as my Lord and savior. That's exactly right. It's exactly the same thing. And when we talk about like resurrection, Jesus's life was focused on resurrection, whether it was um, healing the leper, whether it was healing the woman who was hemorrhaging, whether it was saying um, for Lazarus to rise from the dead, like Jesus is all his actions were bringing people to a new life. Yes. And it was changing their life in that moment. It was not focused on death. It was focused on having a new life and having um, a new outlook on life. The woman at the well, which is like my favorite story whatsoever, is also a type of resurrection because in that moment, she realized that Jesus saw her and understood her and it just changed her life and put her on a totally different trajectory or even fast forwarding to um, the Ethiopian eunuch. Mm -hmm. And you look at someone who was, Oh, that's like an interesting topic if we talk about eunuchs and in that particular context, but, um, (laughs) and why he was a eunuch and what type of eunuch he was because of these different kinds. I love that story. Yeah. Yeah. But he led, he was one of the first missionaries Mm -hmm. and now Ethiopia. Now, of course there's some politics that need to be worked out, but Ethiopia, Ethiopia is a very large Christian country. And that was led by a eunuch, Mm -hmm. someone who did not have, testicles. Yep. And was outside of society, outside of society. His testicles were removed, whether it was by choice or force, it does not say. Um, and, uh, that person led a huge Christian movement to their country. And so they brought new life to that country. So there's a lot, I think just scripture in itself is more focused on the new life and the resurrection as opposed to death dying, suffering. When Lazarus died, Jesus wept and then he rose from the dead. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I think that is the pattern that we see about Jesus all the time, right? I think I love that phrase, you know, the darkness comes before the dawn. I start hating it when people take advantage of it and try to, you know, position my pain in very unfair ways. But I like to, you know, I, I think an important thing to consider is that the, the darkness is always paired with the dawn, you know? And that's, I think, how Jesus approaches every problem is that Jesus never kills to kill, 
You know, like when he tries, when he kills the Pharisee's pride, he always turns around and says, this is actually the way to live. Right. Or you know, yeah, to your point, right? Like he, he, Jesus is never about just killing things dead. Jesus wants to cancel out this idea or notion that we have because there's something better up ahead. And I think that's kind of where we have to get And to you know, in terms of the Lazarus story, it's like Jesus acknowledged the darkness, you know, and he sat in it and he empathized with someone. We, there's a lot that we can learn during that time period where Jesus seemed to be withholding the miracle, but it's not about that. It's not about withholding the miracles that those two things must come in a pair, you know? And I think that's kind of where I feel like we have, we as a Christian church, and if you are of the idea of nation and a culture, we've really dropped the ball. Like, and this is when we're going to get more hate mail. But when you think about the people who claim to own the faith in our political discourse, what are they doing in response to the evil that they see? They're killing things, killing books, killing programs, killing classes, killing all these things, rather than thinking about how to breathe new life into them. Um, and I just feel like that's so anti-Jesus. It, it spins my mind. <laughs> yeah. I mean that, that's like a whole conversation about just like transparency and also just not, we talked about this the other day privately, but just like how I want to hear every idea that's out there. I want to understand every religion that's out there. I want to know what you believe because when things are, when, someone who's well-educated in something is going to make good decisions. Um, and so when we start banning books, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat and you're banning books because it doesn't agree with your agenda, that's a problem. Like that's a big problem. Obviously books should be age appropriate. We're not saying to have pornography in a, like, you know, in a library. Um, but to not have certain books because they talk about having same sex parents or not having books because it talks about, um, creationism like in a library like I think there's an opportunity to learn like all different viewpoints and then kind of form your own decisions absolutely absolutely and yeah what a lost opportunity I mean you know sometimes I think about if we thought about the problems that we have in our faith, right? Like whether they be things that make us uncomfortable. Problems that we have are usually things that make us uncomfortable. Perfect example is, uh, you know, Sam Smith's recent, um, you know, performance where he, that song is so awesome. What was the song again? I don't know. But he wore like, <laughs> <laughs> it's so awesome. But I'm not in the zeitgeist anymore the because I'm one? old. Yeah, yeah. Yes, 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 yes. So he wore like all this like red, you know, like red and leather and stuff. And he was like being like super sexy. But like, you know, People saw that and they were like, demonic, demonic. Okay, number one, the Bible never says that red is demonic. Number two, the Bible never says that leather is demonic. Number three, the Bible never says that horns are demonic. Like nothing nothing about that is like biblically demonic. Right. It just feels kind of demonic. And if you read the screw tape letters by C.S. Lewis, it particularly has a line in there that says, let the deceived person know that's that we are just horns red with a tail. Exactly. And I think if we want to look at what's really evil we need to open our eyes and see that first of all, Satan is the angel of light. So he's not going to look creepy. He's going to be beautiful. And most things that are evil are very tempting, beautiful and provide pleasure. Mm -hmm. And in reality it's, it's an evil. And that's like a whole nother conversation. But, um, 
Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it, you're, you're exactly right. But you know, like I think sometimes I just really wish that we could approach some, an incident like that as a, as an Easter Sunday church, you know, rather than looking at something that makes us a little uncomfortable and wanting to kill it immediately. What if our reaction was, let's think about it for a second, <laughs> you know, let's think about why he chose this expression. What is he trying to communicate? What does it say about us? Because that's what art does, right? Is when you express art, you're expressing yourself and you're also, you want your the people to hear or receive something, right? So what is it that he wants us to hear? And, you know, just kind of like, just evaluate it for what it is rather than just throw a label on it and be like, oh my God, you know, red horse, devil, demon, you know, let's, let's, let's kill him. He's gay too, perfect, kill him. You know, like, uh, why do we have to, get there and i think that you know that is something that is a challenge that i hope the church can broach for their health is to become more of a resurrection church an easter church and look at things through the frame of how do we restore this or how do we incorporate this towards restoration rather than oh my god let's kill it kill it dead yeah in closing if we were to kind of sum this up we talked about the importance of kind of churches and just even our faith being more easter-like focused on life and just growing in a, a new path forward, um, a path maybe that we just didn't see previously. What is your thought since we're approaching, um, we're, we're in Holy week, essentially. What are your, I guess your words of advice as we get to Friday and Easter Sunday? Hmm. It's a good question. I think I would specifically give this advice to people who are in a place where we are, you know, right? Like kind of in a place where you're renegotiating your faith. You might not have a home church this weekend to go to. Mm. Not advice, but maybe encouragement and sort of describing where I'm at. I feel like Good Friday is really meaningful to me because it's, in, it's baked in my DNA Um also, death is something that as a person I can understand better than resurrection, so it's easier to digest. Um, I think it's important for me to acknowledge that, to recognize a lot of things that died when I sort of left the fold in the church and to mourn those things. I think that I need to give it time. Um, like my community who just like, you know, just vanished and talks shit about me every week or like, you know the the sun the bible studies and the edification and you know these opportunities to share my faith that i lost i need to mourn those things i think it's important but i think it's even more important to not stay there but to acknowledge that resurrection is also coming and that these things comes in, come in pairs and i think you know coming out of that good friday service and then walking into an easter sunday service and walking out of that service i hope that i could be progressive on that path. So recognize my uh, recognize the things that are dead, recognize the hope for resurrection, and then continue to live on that hope of resurrection for myself and for everybody, for you and for for all the people that we know. Because you know that's the hope, and that's why I'm doing this stuff. You know, and that's why we're we're doing this stuff because we hope that there is resurrection at the end of this for the things that have died in our lives. But uh, how about you? Did you uh, have a final word or um, any thoughts? Um, I think my final word is just kind of like talking about just like 
everything we talk about is we don't have the answers to everything. And I think that's been a beautiful discovery that we both have stumbled upon through our trauma. And I think the resurrection and then ultimately Jesus ascending into heaven left the disciples and his followers with many questions. And so I think after our death of, I guess, going through what we went through and us coming to a new life through this, we, I hope people are brave enough to ask questions and not act like they have all the answers. Cause I sure don't. Yeah. Wow. Thank you for that. Thanks for having me. <laughs> what the hell? You're here every time. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, uh, but in all seriousness, thank you for that. that. That's really great. And, you know, I appreciate everyone here too. I, I mean, who's, who's listening to this. Um, as we go, I mean, I, this is probably going to be posted after, um, you know, Holy Week is done and over with. Um, I hope that as you're listening to this, um, you know, if you're in a place of renegotiating your faith, uh, like we are, I hope you're feeling okay. It's a really complicated time. Um, a lot of hurt and pain might be exposed, but I hope that you find resurrection, um, somewhere along the way as well. Um, it's always easier in community, um, and in conversation. So if you need that and you don't have any resources, please drop us a line, um, in our email address and we'd be happy to, um, you know, chat with you, but yeah, I, I hope everyone, um, stays safe out there. Um, you know, keep at it, keep renegotiating and, um, yeah, until next time. Until next time. Hey everyone, Andrew here. Thanks for joining us for another episode of The Recalled Show. Today's episode included music by Loving Caliber, Guy Trevino and Friends, and Snake City. We hope you enjoyed being a fly on the wall during our conversation on Easter and all of the um, complicated feelings that these things bring into our lives. If you find yourself enjoying our content or want to um, tag along and see how you can get involved in the conversation, please feel free to email us at recalledshow at gmail.com. That's R-E-C-A-L-L-E-D show at gmail.com. And along the way, make sure to hit subscribe, add, um, download, whatever you got to do on whatever platforms uh, to ensure that you are getting our content whenever it uh, drops. 